Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to dive into everybody's favorite pastime as a developer, and that is debugging. Um, it is a topic that I think we probably... It's, it's kind of weird in some ways, because I think I probably spend at least half, if not a majority of my time in development debugging code that I write. Yet, in most of my like actual formal preparation for being a software engineer, there was very, very little time and attention spent on it. Like Almost all of my classes and things were all about focused on the actual development and the architecture um, side of things. Whereas the reality is we spend most of our time you know, fixing the problems and issues that arise in our apps. And this, you know, these can range from all kinds of, you know, to different levels. There's the kind of while you're developing debugging process where, you know, you write some code, you, you know, hit build and run and you see if it works. And if it doesn't, you try and work out why. Um, there's the, you know, the act, the sort of more subtle, something happens every now and then, and you're not really sure why, and you try and track that down. Um, and then there's the, you know, you getting crash reports or bug reports from customers in the field, and then you have to try and track those down, um, which is even more exciting and challenging. But in all of them, I think there is an element of, you know, debugging is essentially you have, you sort of identify that there's some problem. You then try and reproduce that problem in a way that you can then observe that problem um, then you try and isolate where in the actual, you know, program that is happening, and then you can try and fix it. And you kind of go through this cycle of, you know, you, you identify it, um, you, uh, reproduce it, you isolate it, and then you can fix it. And you kind of cycle through that, or at least that's the process that I tend to take. Um, because if I don't go through each of those steps, I find that it's very hard to actually make progress. You know, if you can't you know, some bugs really are by their nature kind of hard to reproduce. And if that's the case, like, you know, it's still a bug and it's still problematic. But, you know, if, if I get a bug report that I can't reproduce in any way, it's just as the same in some ways as not having that bug report in the first place, because I can't do anything with that information if I can't reproduce it. So, you know, my first step is always, let's reproduce this. And then, you know, let's try and find the part of code. And I mean, I think having been a professional developer for enough years now like i feel like i have a better sort of sense for where the bugs might be hiding you know it's like we, we, i've seen every you know not every bug but i've seen a lot of bugs before and you kind of get this sense of like huh you know this is this looks like this is a, a you know an, an off by one error this is this looks like this is a in you know cache invalidation error this looks like you know i'm writing something incorrectly here or i forgot a case uh, in a switch statement, like you kind of get this feeling for it, and then you can kind of go running around trying to find it. Um, and then, of course, there's also, I guess, the other kind of debugging, which is even super fun, which is where there's a bug in the OS that you, you know, where your your code is all doing the right thing, but then you're getting weird results um, you know, from the OS. And so that's an even more fun, you know, f fun line of debugging where you kind of get the sense of at a certain, you keep going down and farther and farther down the rabbit hole until eventually you're like hit a brick wall at the end of it and you're like all right well uh, i guess i file a bug yeah and that's uh, you know it, it, it's it's often easy for us to jump to well this must be a bug in the os or my favorite one this must be a bug in the compiler <laughs> or something like that right. when we can't figure it out that is for, for the vast majority of bugs that we face as programmers 
that is almost never the case. It like first of all, you are unlikely to ever have a bug in the compiler actually affect you. Um, and you know, as you go up the stack of you know things that you're relying on, like the OS does have bugs. Libraries that you're using will have bugs. But if you run into something in your app that that seems like a bug, and you are tempted to blame the OS or a library or something like that, really make sure that you can't figure out that it's your bug first because chances are very, very good. It's probably your bug. The vast majority of the time of those cases, it will really be your bug. It's only a question of whether you can find it, but don't just say, Oh, well it's a bug in the OS. I guess I got to, uh, I guess I got to just deal with this or move on or yell at them. Uh, really make sure it's not your bug first. Cause again, the, the odds are strongly in favor of it being yours. Yeah, and then because the reality is, like most of our time, at least at least in my experience, like dealing with bugs, I it's almost always something I forgot to do or a case that I forgot to consider <laughs> when I yep. was originally doing it. Like, and not necessarily out of like laziness, even like sometimes it's that you know sometimes you have the always classic like you know you 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 see an example where it's like if error doesn't equal nil then do something with it it's like and then if you don't actually do anything when eventually you do run into the situation where the error is not nil then all of a sudden things break and you know that there's that kind of laziness but more often it's just like you forgot to do something and then it comes back to bite you and i feel like the what is it i think i think there was a you know, one of the maybe it may have been an XKCD cartoon about this, where it's sort of the, the stages of debugging, where you go from like, it's like, oh, it's, it's, you, know, you get a bug report, and you're like, oh no, that can't be right. I'm sure this is. I'm sure my code is good, and then you kind of like, <laughs> oh no, it's actually it's actually broken, and then you go to the like, how did this ever work? Phase. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, how on earth did this even work? When you you know you you because it's it's amazing how when you look back at your own code, you know this is think code that you wrote with your you know your own hands on a keyboard. You put this into the into into the into Xcode. You come back and look at, it and you're like, how on earth? What am I doing? Like, and I feel like that is the hardest part in or why. Do Debugging is so hard. Is is you know it's you have to recreate all of this sort of state and information that went into the creation of the code. Hold that in your mind, and then run it through a scenario that's happening, you know, and to then see why it's doing something weird. And very often, I find like the hardest thing is to try and understand even what the code is trying to do um, in the first place, or like why there's this weird exception, you know, that was introduced there, you know, years or, um, you know, decades ago. And you're like, huh, I wonder why I did that. I don't know anymore. And that's, you know, makes debugging really, really hard. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's also a major argument for keeping things simple and not that clever in the first place. Um, and, you know, I've, as we've talked about, I think a while ago now, uh, you know, like I, I try to avoid overly clever code styles um things like you know using using really dense shorthands or really clever um mechanics you know things like generics and in, in like you know swift like that kind of thing like you, you kind of use like overly clever uh complex language features or constructs where it looks really cool and you feel really smart when you do it but when you have to come back and debug code uh you know in six months and you have totally forgotten what led you to to write that, and you and you've forgotten the cleverness behind it, and you have to figure it out by looking at it, or or you know figuring it out by by its effects. It's often very very hard to do that, and you know like you know you you often as a programmer you you might eventually hear the wisdom of like 
write code for someone else to read. But but really what you should be doing is writing code for yourself in three weeks to read because you will have probably forgotten by then why you did what you did. Um, so to, if you keep things simple from the beginning uh, and not be too overly clever with the way you write things and and, and make things, you know, straightforward to read and, and to, you know, kind of self-document, uh, then you will be doing yourself a huge favor. Um, documentation, you know, separate documentation, can help with some of these things but i found in practice uh that maybe it's just me i don't document things that well i try to just write things that are that are obvious when you look at them and that that you know are, just have good names and straightforward approaches and, and that tends to work very well and you know that can never be out of date because it's, it's the code itself um and then for for minimizing bugs to begin with i i think it's it's again very important not to be too clever and and to realize you know, for me, many of my bugs come from quick workarounds or quick hacks that I do when I encounter some other bug. <laughs> and and so one one great example of this that, that I'm sure many iOS programmers face is whenever you're doing something in in like a launch uh, loop or, or in, in a UI, you know, response loop or something, and there's some weird behavior that, or some weird precondition that you can't quite accommodate in, in a straightforward way. So you just dispatch async to the next run loop of the, of the main queue, and you say, all right, dispatch async onto main queue, do this thing on the next run. And that's a really nice, quick way to, to avoid a lot, of, a lot of, like, you know, weird complexity or, or obvious bugs as you're developing. But I have found in almost every case... <laughs> Uh, that using a dispatch async uh, is almost always a bad idea. Uh, like when you're just like kind of deferring work till the, till later on the main queue or something. Like obviously there are uses where it, where it's fine, but like what if that's your approach to solve a problem? Then you get into concurrency bugs and and weird weird uh, conditions there that are really hard to fix and diagnose and reproduce. Uh, and it, it again, it's like one of those areas where it seems like a clever thing when you're writing it um and in and in the case of like bug avoidance like it seems like oh this will be a quick fix for this weird little bug i'll just wrap it in dispatch async and that will that will fix the problem but then you introduce all these weird other problems that might be non-obvious and those those become very hard to debug so in addition to keeping code simple as you write it for the purposes of debugging i also would strongly recommend avoiding concurrency if you can and avoiding playing with with uh threads and cues when when not necessary or when not warranted yeah because i feel like what you're doing there i mean and i'm very guilty of that like there have, i have done the you know dispatch async fix probably a hundred times 200 times oh, in yeah. my career like, and like all the time and i cannot i cannot overstate how many bugs that i've had to fix end up being a poorly used dispatch async yeah because I think the reality is what you're doing, and this is maybe a maturity thing, but it's the it's the understanding that like when I do that now, I understand that I'm not fixing the problem. I'm changing the the bug from whatever it is. Say say I say I have a bug that happens, you know, one out of every hundred times the app is, the app runs, and you know that's that's a problem. You know, one percent of users are hitting this issue. I wrap it in dispatch async. What I'm doing is not removing that problem. What I'm doing is changing it into a like one in ten thousand bug. <laughs> which is better but also incredibly difficult now to actually 
like properly fix and diagnose and reproduce, et cetera, et cetera. Like it, it is the kind of fix where it isn't actually solving it. It's just making it less likely, which sometimes, you know, pragmatically I've, you know, there, I'm sure there are many places in, you know, my shipping apps where I have that. And it's just one, it's like a conscious choice that you're just like, well, the actual fix is too hard or would require a massive refactoring or some kind of you know thing where you can make this trade-off in choice. And you say, you know, like, I'm just going to fix this by patching it. And I know that what I'm doing is going to cause a problem for me down the road. I know that I'm, you know, there is, this bug is, hasn't magically disappeared as a result of this, but like, it's a conscious choice. And that's a, a balance, but yeah, ultimately, you know, most when you're writing the code, you're kind of trying to do your future self a favor as much as you can. Because um, I think one of the things that I struggle with too when I'm writing code is the realization that I, it, all of these things that seem obvious to me when I'm writing the code, because I'm in a mindset where I'm focused entirely on whatever the solving this problem is. Like, there's all these things that just seem obvious. Like, of course, you know, like this is the way this works, you know, that's why this is set up this way, this value will, you know, will always transform from this to this. Like there's all these things that seem obvious. And then in the future, they're entirely non-obvious. Um, and the, 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 the biggest difficulty I have with things like documentation is that it's kind of impossible to know what your future self is going to want to know. Um, because everything seems obvious and kind of trivial in the present. And so like, I think I'm kind of like, like I tend to only document code in my apps that where I'm doing something that is clearly weird or, or like strange, you know, where you have some kind of magic number, um, if you have to introduce into something where it's like, I know, why am I multiplying this value by 1.632? Like there's a reason for that. And if there is like, you know, that's the kind of thing that you write down. Um, but otherwise you end up with like writing your program twice if you're you know, overly documenting it. So as, as, you know, as, as much as when I'm debugging, I kind of wish my past self had written all this stuff down. The reality is my past self wouldn't actually know what I need to know right now, because if they did, they could have just written, you know, made the code more obvious or clear in the first place, probably. Um, or at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> We were sponsored this week by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash radar. You'll get a 14-day free trial. And when you use code radar at checkout, you get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is a wonderful monitoring service. They are focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site because they offer powerful, easy-to-use monitoring tools and services. So if you're a Pingdom user, you can monitor the availability and performance of your servers, your databases, or your website, and it's so easy to do. They test from more than 70 global test servers, and they can, em- they can emulate visits to your site as often as every minute. And they can do cool things like cookies and logins and everything else, too. Because, you know, these days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include multiple different parts with several different dependencies, maybe you depend on an external service or maybe only the login screen does this one thing in your code and you need to check all these things and you can do all that with pingdom with and loads more in addition to that too they can make it possible to monitor the availability of, of all these key interactions people have with your site uh, because you know a lot of times it's more complex than your site is up or your site is down so Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Pingdom knows this. They detect around 13 million outages a month. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a whole infrastructure, it is very important to monitor the availability and performance. And all. And, and Pingdom, when it goes down, they alert you 
in any way you want. You can have text messages, you can have push notifications, emails. It, it's so configurable. We've even used it in the past to monitor other people's websites. Like David and I have both independently used it uh, to monitor the WWDC page for changes. Like in the past when it was really important to know when WWDC tickets went on sale. I've used Pingdom for a very long time. Highly recommended. Check it out today and you will be the first to know when your site is down or being too slow. So go to pingdom.com slash radar for a 14-day free trial and use code radar to get 20% off your first invoice. Thank you very much to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the other thing that's probably worth diving into a little bit too is the way in which we actually do debugging because I maybe it's you know maybe maybe it's a shocking real revelation but I am I th- believe what is technically called a caveman debugger <laughs> the printf debugging <laughs> I do all of my debugging using uh you know NS log um, yep. <laughs> and, the, and the console which I you know I think is often disparagingly referred to as caveman debugging which um is fine I'm sure there are better ways to do that and I mean every now and then I'll go to a WBDC session where they're talking about all the crazy things you can do in you know, in Xcode where you can set conditional breakpoints and, you know, all this kind of really clever stuff. And in the end, what I always do is just, I end up just NS logging tons of data to um, the console because it's, it's one of those things where most of what debugging is trying to do is it's like, you're trying to unwind the state machine that is your app where you're trying to work out, you know, it's like your app is in this probably, you know, you're in a good state then something happens and you're in a bad state. Like that is, you know, at a very high level, that is what a bug is. And what you're trying to do is identify that, you know, what point it's going from that good state to that bad state. Like what is happening there? And, and, you know, I mean, I've been professionally developing for 17 years now or something. And I still like that the most effective and powerful tool is just NS logs everywhere. And you get kind of, good at it like i'm i can identify and find things fairly quickly this way because you kind of get the sense of you know you're a you're trying to isolate where in the code it's happening and so you'll end up putting ns logs you know in different in different parts of your app that you think might be part of it and trying to work out which one's getting you know which code is getting hit when you um when you do it and then something that i also find really helpful um is when i take i format my ns logs as um tab delimited text so like often we'll have like several variables that i'm trying to observe and watch and i ns log those as you know a tab delimited set of strings because then i can take the output from the console and i can copy paste that into excel and it'll put it into columns for me that's interesting and you can then you know you'll you can take that data and then look at it over multiple runs and you can start you know it's, it's a way to actually make the data make it into something that's useful and uh you know like at least, at least for me, in the way that my mind works, that's how I debug the best. Is when I, I'm taking this data, I'm taking something out of the console, looking at it often in Excel, and then kind of follow, finding the pattern, finding the thing, and then I can actually go and fix it. Um, and like, I don't know if that works for me. Um, and you know, I, I, it, I sometimes I feel bad about it. I feel like they have all these really powerful and clever tools, <laughs> but the reality is, I think the hardest part too is that so much of these, this kind of so much of debugging is tr- like the hardest part is often the reproduction part and getting everything like it's, it's hard to observe these issues sometimes. And so like the nice thing about a console log is that you can have those running without being attached to the debug server. For example, like you can have, 
that you know you can you can create these situations where these things happen sometimes in like sometimes it gets really awkward to have your app to, to have your app attached to the debugger because sometimes when it is attached to the debugger the app goes the, the bug goes away like there's lots of weird situations and issues where ns log debugging um, is the best but i'm very aware that uh, by doing it that way i'm you know not taking advantage of more sophisticated tools but i know for myself like that's what works yeah, I mean, and it, it, there's also, you know, there's lots of different kinds of bugs, uh, and, and you know, a lot of these different methods are more or less suitable to different ones. Like, you know, for example, NSLog debugging, which I do a lot myself, uh, is, it, it's it's not necessarily the best option if you have, like, like a like kind of nitty-gritty, like, code-level bug. Like, this function isn't always returning the right value. Like, for that, I prefer to use conditional breakpoints. Uh, so I can see, like, you know, whenever this value is something out of whack, stop here and then I'll, I will inspect the stuff around it um but you know ns log debugging is, is is a lot more helpful for things like you know larger systems interacting with each other um any kind of you know large operations concurrency things where like you're not really sure where the bugs might be but you just kind of want to get a good idea of of what is going on in the system um it's also ns log debugging is also very very helpful in situations in which the debugger itself is impractically slow to do things so a lot of swift context this is the case from what i've heard um it's also very much the case when you're debugging um on device on the watch uh because like then like the round trip between your computer running xcode and the phone and the slow watch hardware like trying to trying to break watch apps you know like with breakpoints and, and inspect local variables around and you know running things in the in the uh, debugger command line is so slow on the like when doing things on the watch that sometimes it's better off to just do something you know do it do, do it a different way do printf debugging or whatever else um for me it's also uh, i also debug very differently if i'm looking at a crash report versus some kind of behavior in the app that i'm catching live um, it's it's very important um, to to look in iTunes Connect and to look at the or you know rather I guess now it's in the organizer in uh, Xcode to look at the crash report uh, that, that Apple's getting for you uh, you know look at look at what's being gathered there there's a whole lot of different problems that your app can have in the wild and the fact that we can get our apps or it's that we can get our crash reports basically all the time from Apple that like whenever an app crashes we get notified about that. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And there's, of course, also lots of different other services as well. But there are some types of crashes that only Apple's crash logs will generally reliably be able to report to you. Uh, and that includes things like if iOS kills your app for some reason that isn't necessarily a crash, but if your app is getting killed in the background or something, or if your extensions are getting killed, uh, then that's things that iOS can can provide very useful feedback to if you look for it. Um, and that's all in the Xcode organizer. Um, and one of the things I can recommend highly is look at those and a lot of times the organizer won't tell you, like, if you get, like, in my, I was just spending a lot of time debugging crashes in my Today widget, or my widget, I guess. And if you look at just the crash log, it's not very helpful in the organizer. But if you right-click and show in Finder on that crash, and you dive into the bundle, and you can get the raw crash logs that are inside of that bundle, when you look at the raw logs, you can get a termination code. And a lot of times that is Springboard telling you something. And there's a great uh, technical note, TN2151, uh, Understanding and Analyzing Application Crash Reports. And this tells you all the crazy codes that your app might be killed with. So one of the things is that I was facing is I was my extension was accessing the uh, SQLite database in the shared app group container. 
I don't recommend doing this now, but, but now I know better. Um, but if you're accessing an SQLite uh, database in a shared container in an extension, at the time that the OS suspends you, it will kill your app with a certain code that says deadlock in hex. And if you didn't look at this document, and if you, if you didn't find that crash report and find that code, and if you didn't then look at this document to see that what that means, and it tells you right here, it's been terminated by the OS because it held onto a file lock or SQLite database during suspension. And I didn't, like, you know, and before I found all this out, I just didn't know why my extension just kept crashing for everybody. And people kept reporting things like, hey, your app is crashing in the background for some reason. I'm getting all these logs on my phone. What's going on? iOS tells you these things. Like, it's telling you useful information here. And so if you if you look at those crash logs in the Xcode organizer, and if you look up what these different, you know, termination codes mean, you'll probably find out something useful. Uh, and and this is all like and and we have wonderful things like if you're kind of wondering whether you fixed a rare crash or not you can look at the analytics section of itunes connect and it will graph for you how many crashes per day your app is having and you can and, and it marks on the graph where your updates occur so you can say oh look when when this update was released the crashes dropped by half so so the thing i fixed i probably fi- or the, th- the thing i think i fixed i probably did fix there's all sorts of useful things you can get from crash logs and things like that. And and one of the reasons why I, I do also, as I said earlier, kind of recommend against unnecessary use of dispatch async is because that makes your crash logs less useful to you. Because it, it usually the crash logs will not report where the block was dispatched from. Some of the more advanced ones like Hockey uh, try to do this and they have mixed degrees of success in my experience. Um, and so if your code is simpler, then any crash log you get will also be more useful to you. Yeah, and I, it, I think crash logs are definitely like a great source for so much of this stuff. And I feel like in general, I will say that Xcode, as much as I don't use all of its tools, like some of this stuff that you're talking about of going into the organizer, like there's some really useful tools that we have at our at, at our you know, sort of at our disposal to be tracking a lot of this stuff down now, which I don't think we we had before. I mean, it makes me think even of one of the other tools that I use a lot in debugging in a strange way is version control. Um, And specifically, um, git blame is often incredibly helpful in trying to track down weird um, situations in in my apps where, you know, code is doing something weird and I'm trying to work out why I structured it in the way I structured it. And this is a thing that I love in Xcode where you can go into the top right, where you go into the source control thing and you can do blame and it will show you all of, you know, for, for every line of code in your app, it'll show you which commit that line of code was introduced into your app with. Um, and so you often will end up happening there. It's like by using that view, I can be see like, huh, that's weird. You know, here's this one random line of code that is left over from an old version that everything else was updated or, you know, situations like that. And, you know, Xcode is really, and then you can, I think if you double click on it, it'll show you that commit and it'll show you the relevant, how that, you know, how that file of line of, how that, how that file changed with that commit. And that's another example of one of these little tools in Xcode where it's like, it helps you understand what's going on. In the same way that, yeah, like those, that's a really great one. And I mean, I love in their crash logs where you, you know, it can help you take you right to where the crash happened um, rather than sitting there and, you know, trying to, you know, work out which, you know, if, if this crash happened in this, you know, in this, this file on this line number, like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, that's useful, but it's also, it's way more useful to just take me to that line number. 
Um, so there's definitely some great tools in Xcode that I think make a lot of debugging a lot simpler um, and that I'm very grateful for. I would also say when you're when you're running your app and you're trying to figure out maybe maybe what's going on with a bug, always watch that that pane in Xcode that shows you the running CPU usage and memory of the app. And of course, you can go into instruments and get you know like a more fine grained version of this. But like yesterday, there was this really tricky bug that I could not figure out. Like the app just started behaving really weirdly when loading episodes of a certain podcast, and it like really weirdly, and it would eventually disconnect from Xcode. It was a massive massive weird bug. And springboard would crash. And what led me to the solution was that I, I, was, I happened to be glancing at that pane that was showing me the, the resource graphs in Xcode at the, during one of the runs. And I noticed that right before it crashed, memory usage skyrocketed all the way up to like a gig. And then everything freaked out and blew up. And so then I was able to, to say, hey, wait a minute, that's unusual. That stands out. Let me run it under the, the allocations instrument run. That, that can show you where all your memory is being used. And I did, and I did I, so I did that and found out, figured out what the bug was within like a half hour after that. This is a bug that's been bothering me for weeks. I couldn't figure it out. And then within a half hour of noticing, hey, this thing is out of the ordinary on the memory meter here, I had to fix. Um, so like, you know, use the tools that are available to you uh, when, you know, when appropriate or just use NSLog and printf debugging everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, what that you, what you hit on there, though, is the one thing that I will say that I love about debugging is that so often you get to the end and there's like a relatively straightforward solution that fixes the problem. And like that is one of the greatest joys of being a of software development. When you like you think of, you see the problem, you see the solution and you can implement it and like it's gone. And this thing that was problematic and hurting your users is now just completely vanished. And like that's like a great victory. And I always love when that happens. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's absolutely awesome. So it's the one reason I love debugging. That's why we do all this, right? That that yeah. feeling when when it finally works. We're like, yes, I love that yes. feeling. All right. Thanks everybody for listening this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.